I'm Theo. And I'm Juliet. And this is Apologies Accepted. We offer an entertaining look at some of the big issues in history by examining public apologies of the famous and infamous. We're looking at politicians, serial killers, actors, and you. Send us a public apology you would like to make, and we'll read it on the air and give you a chance to redeem yourself, or just get some guilt off your shoulders. We're here for you. Once a week, maybe more if you're really, really sorry. Accepted the, the podcast. podcast, and I'm not Theo. I'm not Juliet. I always and say it like how's that. How's everything going, not Juliet? What's shaking bacon? Um, let's see. Well, somebody has had a cold. I don't know if you've been reading the news, but yes. I had a cold this week. Um, was not happy, and it wasn't COVID, so yay! And then yay. I'm a great big giant baby. When I proudly invented the man flu, you are all yes. welcome for that. Uh, and so, yeah, basically just on the couch, feeling sorry for myself. And then yesterday I felt a little bit better and I ran around and like went to some stores and just hung out for a bit to see some people and get out of the house. And then I came home and I discovered, um, that due to the ice storm that brought Austin to its knees on Wednesday, Thursday, um, that one tree limb in our backyard had cracked in half and limb is probably about no exaggeration 400 feet no it's probably about 20 feet long and i'm gonna say Uh it weighed like 150 pounds whole damn um and so half of it was resting on the house and the other half of it was attached to the tree and because i'm me i had to play little house on the prairie i hate it when people say because i'm me but i just did that (laughs) and so got a ladder got a tree saw uh, Are you kidding me? No, saw the branch off. You hauled did it. Not. I did. And you climbed up on the roof? No, 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 no. Um, it was attached to the tree still, so I was able to saw it and then yank it off of the roof. So it was partially on the roof, but still oh attached to the tree, right? And wow. so, yep. And then it took me two hours, and the whole time I kept saying, "I can't believe I have to do this when I'm sick. I don't uh-huh. feel well. I have to do this when I'm sick. I have to do everything." Um. And so chopped it up, threw it out on the street, and because uh, they're coming by to pick up all the I didn't parts. vindictively throw it out on the street. Fuck my neighbors. <laughs> Fuck all you people. Here's some garbage for you to look at, garbage whores. No, um, <laughs> piled it up in front of the house like you're supposed to do because they'll come around yeah. and turn it into wood chips or whatever. So great. And I... I mean, it took me two hours, right? I have the Damn. smallest pile of timber in front of my house compared to all my neighbors. Uh-huh. I don't know how they did it, right? Um, and you got so lucky, I guess. I did get lucky, or my landlady got lucky because it's her house. Yeah, um, right. Your landlady got lucky. Yeah, she got very lucky. But anyway, um, that was kind of that. And other than watching a lot of pointless TV, so many so many UFO documentaries. Really? Yes. I embarrassing, embarrassing amount. Like that sounds great. Five, right? That sounds so fun. No, they were so stupid. It's all the same bullshit. <laughs> and it's so dumb. And I hate it. And there was one that was like partially good. Um, but even that one was stupid. And so uh, and you watched five of them. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I kept waiting for them to get better, Juliet. How dare uh, you? Okay. <laughs> I was trying to give this genre a chance. Okay. You're very, very open-minded of you. Heroic. Thank you. And Heroic. you're welcome. <laughs> All right. And so what about you with Shake and Bacon? Um, well, uh, didn't do much last week. Just worked. Um, but this coming weekend, I'm going to Sacramento. Very exciting. On purpose? Um, on purpose. Boo, um, that was a cheap to, joke. We're going to go to the art museum and we're going to go antique shopping. So that should be fun. Intake of breath, open mouth. I'm thrilled. Please do that. That Antique shopping's the best. There's like a big antique mall that's supposed to be really cool there. So we're going to go do that. And then there's like other antique stores that we're going to go to. And and of course, the art museum, which I mentioned. Uh, We haven't been to that art museum yet. So we're going to put the dog in dog storage and then go to the... um, to the antique store in, in Sacramento. There's a nice hotel there that I like, so I think that'll be fun. I just wanted to get out of town and, you know, get out of the house. So yeah, totally. Just, not really a Valentine's Day weekend, but just kind of fun. 
That's oh. I, I did. Oh God, Valentine's Day. Thank you for the reminder. Oh yeah, uh, we don't really celebrate Valentine's Day. Anymore, Same, but um, I know I don't like it. No, that's why I got married, so I would never have to do Valentine's Day again. <laughs> that's, you just do that to trick people into marrying you. Once you accomplish that, you, that's right. Then you're done. You're done. Every day is Valentine's Day. Every day, that's right. <laughs> and the other thing that I've done, actually, I did do something this weekend. I cleaned ten to twelve boxes of stuff out of my room on Saturday. Oh my gosh! Or you're not. kidding. That's great. No, I did. Plus one tall bookshelf and two short bookshelves and a dresser. I mean, it's, it sounds like my room was packed with shit, and, and actually it was. So um, some dudes are coming to take it all away this afternoon after the podcast, and it'll only cost me three hundred fifty dollars as opposed to the two thousand and eight hundred dollars. <laughs> you spent out all that, that crap. Woman quoted me so well, oh. yeah the, the, that woman quoted me that I, I had come and quote you know help, to help to help me declutter my house she quoted me like $2,800 for my room only it was like total of $10,000 for the entire house or not the entire house but like three other rooms so um I instead of doing that I decided I would try and tackle it myself first and I think I'm doing pretty successful job so far that's amazing okay now how big are the boxes now we're going to get real critical they're like 18 by 12 they're medium size medium okay boxes. no that's a so that's a good size they're decent size yeah, yeah that's not I mean, a shoebox they're not like eight by ten or whatever so i don't know where honestly i don't know where 10 boxes of stuff came from because i didn't think i had that much stuff in there but i guess i had a lot of stuff now did you pack the boxes or did you just put one thing in each box yeah one thing in each box like, here's I mean, a shoe four, right here's another shoe <laughs> no they're pretty full so I feel like I've successfully done something this week. It can, oh, yeah, that's huge. I, I would say any type of, let's call it spring cleaning, is yeah. huge, right? Getting yeah. rid of stuff is huge. It was it was sort of challenging, but I finally just put my mind to it and did it. Did you find uh, that once you got started, it, it was easier to get rid of stuff? I Yes, yes. And the more I looked at the stuff that I had, the more I realized I didn't really like it that much. Uh-huh. So it was just like I was keeping it for the sake of keeping it, mm-hmm. which doesn't make any sense. And so I'm going to donate all the boxes of stuff to the thrift store and the bookshelves and stuff. They're not really all that great quality, so I'm just going to send them to the dump. Okay. All right. And then my favorite thing, are you going to get new bookshelves? No, I'm going to try and keep it light in that room. I mean, uh-huh. it's still I still have a bookshelf in that room and a dresser and a big sort of um, uh, wardrobe type of thing. Yeah, kind of. So uh, I have enough stuff in there now. I should probably try and get rid of more stuff, to be honest. Um, I went through most of my clothes, but I think I, I have... I went, through about, I went through about half of my clothes. I think I could go through the other half and get rid of more stuff. So this is really just phase one of Operation Juliet's Room. That is, I, brava, congratulations. It's hard to do. Thank you so much. It was, it it took a long time to get to it, but I'm doing it. So, excellent. Excellent. A plus for you. Right. Speaking of A plus. Right. Now let's find a segue to the story. (laughs) There really is no segue between clearing out boxes of stuff and and the story. So, we'll just, uh, we'll just attack the story. Speaking of grades, which goes to school. Yeah, there's a school involved. Um, so uh, on January 18, 2015, on the Stanford University campus, Brock Turner, who was then an 18-year-old student athlete at Stanford, sexually assaulted 22-year-old Chanel Miller while she was unconscious. Um, we know that that's her name, and we know the vict- who the victim is, because in September 2019, she um, released a book called Know My Name, a memoir, um, making it public that she was who was called Emily Doe in, in the case. So what happened in 2015 was uh, two Swedish graduate students were riding their bikes on the Stanford campus at about 1 a.m. Why are you riding your bikes at 1 a.m.? I don't know. It's none of my business. Um, On January 18th, 2015, when they spotted the assault taking place behind a dumpster. When they confronted Brock Turner, he tried to run. One of the grad students chased him, tripped him, and held him down, asking him, what are you smiling for? Later, um, responding to the assistant district attorney's questions during his trial, Turner testified that he was laughing because he found the situation ridiculous. Uh, The other grad student then helped pin him down while a third bystander called the police. And the victim was found unconscious at the scene. In an interview with the police, she said she did not remember being alone with a man during the night and stated that she did not consent to any sexual activity. A nurse who administered a sexual assault response team examination at the hospital determined that she had experienced significant trauma and penetrating trauma. 
So uh, to go back a little bit that evening, um, Brock Turner and uh, Chanel Miller had attended a party at a Kappa Alpha fraternity earlier in the night. The victim's sister, who was there too, testified in the trial that Turner, who she didn't know, had approached her twice and attempted to kiss her, but that she pulled away. She also testified that she never saw Turner and Chanel Miller interact at the party. According to the police report um, from the morning after the incident, Turner told police that he met the victim outside the fraternity house and left with her. He also said he didn't know her name and that he would not be able to recognize her if he saw her again. Turner's story included the victim giving consent to sexual activity, which the victim, of course, denies. Uh, the victim did not remember anything from around midnight until she woke up three hours later in the hospital. Shortly before 1 a.m., she phoned her boyfriend and left a voicemail message, which later was entered into evidence by the prosecution, and the Palo Alto Weekly described it as almost entirely incomprehensible, and a juror later cited it as particularly strong evidence that the victim was not in a fit state to give consent. So after um, the incident, instead of uh, facing disciplinary actions, Brock Turner decided to withdraw from Stanford, but Stanford still banned him from campus for life. Turner had hoped to swim on the U.S. National Olympics team the next year, but USA Swimming involved a imposed a lifetime ban on Turner under their zero-tolerance policy for sexual misconduct, effectively ending his swimming career. Now, it said in Wikipedia that he had hoped to swim on the U.S. National Olympics team. I don't know if that meant that he had a real uh, a realistic chance of swimming on the National Olympics team, or if he just like hoped to swim in it, like I hope to, you know, win the lottery one day. He had a very realistic chance of uh, getting. In, onto the Olympic team, he had won um, All-American swimmer in the state of Ohio three years in a row. Um, oh. He was uh, he got into Stanford on a scholarship for swimming. Um, oh, I see. Yep. So he was a very serious um, elite athlete, if you will. Yeah. And uh, and you know, I'll use the word unfortunate. Um, it's right. it's it, he. It, it destroyed his life um and and sucks for him but you yeah know. i mean you do what you do and you get what you get right i guess is how i feel about it um fuck around and so, find out yeah right uh on march 30th 2016 he was found guilty of three felonies uh, they had um <clears throat> accused him of five, um, but he was he was found guilty of assault with intent to rape an intoxicated woman, sexually penetrating an intoxicated person with a foreign object, and sexually penetrating an unconscious person with a foreign object. Okay, yes, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, prosecutors recommended that Turner be given a six-year prison sentence based on the purposefulness of the action, the effort to hide his activity, and the victim's intoxicated state. Uh, Santa Clara County probation officials, on the other hand, recommended that he receive a moderate county jail sentence with formal probation based on his lack of criminal history, youth, and expression of remorse. We'll get to the expression of remorse in a minute, of course. Um, the probation report did not mention another woman who said she had been upset by Turner's unwanted physical advances at a Kappa Alpha party eight days before the charged offense, but this report was in the trial record. So um, after the trial, or as Part of the trial. As a result of the trial, the judge, whose name was Aaron Persky, sentenced Turner to six months in the Santa Clara County Jail, followed by three years of probation. After three months in jail, Turner was actually released for good behavior. Uh, he is permanently registered as a sex offender and was obligated to participate in a sex offender rehabilitation program. In December 2017, Turner actually requested that his conviction be overturned, that his lifetime requirement to register as a sex offender be canceled, and that he be given a new trial on the grounds that the prosecutor claimed that the assault took place behind a trash bin, but the victim was found behind a garbage enclosure. So that's ridiculous. Uh, yeah. It's just, it's like, it's just ridiculous. This whole this whole thing is terrible, um, and and I, I dislike intensely <laughs> Brock Turner, but we'll talk about that more in a minute, too. Um, Turner also argued that the jury should have been given the option to consider less serious charges and that he should have been able to call character witnesses. But on October, uh, sorry, August uh, 8th, 2018, he'd lost his appeal to overturn his conviction. He reportedly tried to argue that he had intended to engage in outer course, not intercourse, with his victim, which... Just there must like, be some legal distinction where outer course is does not fall under uh, sexual assault, but I, it must. Or rape or something. I mean, yeah. Um, I don't know, though. The California Court of Appeals were not persuaded and concluded that the appropriate course of action was to require Turner to register as a sex offender for the rest of his life. 
The case spurred a national uproar because the sentence was criticized as far too lenient and because of a statement by the defendant's father complaining that his son's life had been ruined for, quote, 20 minutes of action. The judge was also later recalled by voters, which is good. Um, there, I think there was a petition f to recall yeah. the judge, and like a million people signed it, which is insane for Santa Clara County. Um, I'm sure it was you know people all over the world signing it. But uh, in, in the next uh, round of voting, he was recalled and uh, is no longer uh, a judge in the uh, criminal court. So. Yes, and he was, um, if I remember this fact correctly, he was hired as a tennis coach at a local high school. That's right. Yes, and then uh, there was that. public outcry, and the school fired him um, yes. with the reasoning being that too much uh, press attention would interfere with the students. So it wasn't yeah. so much like... Oh, we don't like the decision that you made, and so you're a bad decision maker. We're firing you. It was more like you're going to bring the press here, and that's going to freak the kids out. So you got to leave. You're paparazzi magnet. There's no way to find out what he's doing now. There is probably no way to find out what he's doing now because I'll bet he hasn't gone online or done anything public since then. Probably not. Um, I'm looking actually at his Wikipedia page, which is really long. I mean, you know, the the thing that doesn't say jumps out in in that for me with the judge, right? It's one entitled male recognizing an up and coming entitled male. Right. Wait, say that again? So the so the judge, right? His his whole line of reasoning was um, right. something may have happened. But this guy has so much promise, and his, we're going to be ripping his from a good future family, away from him. Right. And he wrote a letter of apology, and this would ruin his life. And I believe and the judge was the on the Stanford swim huh? team. Yeah, we shouldn't ruin the lives of a successful white man. Yeah, that's, that's it so. exactly. A, a Stanford student. A Stanford so, student. Speaking school. of Stanford, I used to work for this company where we would have interns come in, and the people that were the most... The biggest assholes were always Stanford students. It was like mm -hmm. Duke University times a million. Mm -hmm. They were just the worst human beings I, I ever met. Um, and, and I think that Brock Turner would qualify as one of the worst human beings I would ever meet. He's just unbelievably... Um, I'll read his apology in a minute, but I think you have some information for us first. Well, yeah, I do. And so um, the, the Brock Turner story slash um, Chanel Miller story is, is a complicated... Well, it's not. It's not a complicated. It's a very straightforward. What happened, right? Um, yeah. So to, and I'm sure everybody is familiar with the case. But just to paint the picture, um, Chanel and her sister are half Asian, and they um, they both say that they look a lot like each other, mm -hmm. and so some of the thinking has been Chanel's sister has said. Well, he did try and come on to me during the party a couple of times, and I did rebuff him. And maybe he thought that Chanel was me, and maybe yeah. the the attack was sort of like a way to get you know vengeance. How dare you right. reject me, right? Um, Chanel joined her sister and his sister's friend uh, to go to a frat party. Everybody had been drinking a ton. And that's part of the reason why this uh, story caught national attention. This, I don't know what would have happened without the intervention of the two Swedish guys, uh, because they were witnesses yes. and sober. Yeah. And so what were Swedes doing at one o'clock in the morning on their bike? Who knows what Swedish people do? <laughs> it, it's a mystery to us all, right? Yes. They, they're heroes. We know that. Um, yes. But beyond that, who knows? Maybe they were out patrolling looking for problems, but it doesn't seem like Maybe. that, right? Yeah, um, who knows? And so uh, it was, in, in Brock's version of what happened, he's at the party, um, he's there to have a good time, all the guys on his team are after girls, and that happens at every party, and drinking is a right. big part of the culture, and so right. he's drinking and also chasing girls because he looks up to his teammates and he wants to be like them. Right. They, right. He actually family. said in his letter that um, 
it being away from home led him to look at his swim team as his family and that he looked up to them as role models and he wanted to be like them and emulate their activities of drinking and picking up women and that he believed that that was what being at college was all about right and you know that puts all the blame on college and drinking yeah. right and at the same time i know well let's let me rephrase that i don't know but I've heard that um, the police got a hold of his text messages and scrolled back. And in like 2014, he was texting friends saying that he uh, was interested in getting um, some panty slipper, which is a mix of ecstasy and LSD. Right. Mm. And so for him to say, oh, partying is such a a new thing for me. I'm a kid from the Midwest. Yeah. And he had been arrested previously for drinking underage. Right. He he had a beer. um, I forget if it was on campus or not, but um, I don't remember. But it it was uh, the police saw him and figured he was underage and arrest him as a minor in possession of alcohol, right? Yeah. But uh, in that he was with a group of friends and like they were going to a football game or something, right? So it was very much like a, a college moment and mm-hmm. drinking illegally, right? Um, so although Brock paints a picture of himself as this nice Midwestern kid who was led astray by life in the big city, his text messages show that he was well acquainted with drugs and alcohol, from an early age, right? So, but kind of a lie, Brock. Um, and so, uh, according to Brock, uh, he meets Chanel during the party. They dance together a little bit. And then uh, he says, hey, do you want to go to my room? And she says, yes. And then they're walking outside and she slips and falls and they both start laughing and then they start making out where they're at. Now, I have been stupid ass drunk. And I have definitely done that, right? Right. Um, and so is it possible? Yeah, it's sure. It's a possibility. Sure. Sure. Right? Um, proudly, I've done that more than one time. And so, yeah. right. I mean, yeah. It's like I, I have years of weekends of that. Um, We've all done that more than once. Yes, exactly. Um, and so, great. Chanel's version of the story is, uh, she was at the party. She never saw Brock. She was in line to use the bathroom. The line was taking forever. And so she decided to go outside and pee. And she was looking for somewhere private. And uh-huh. that's the last thing that she remembers is making the decision to go outside and pee. Uh-huh. Um, so for the Swedish guy's perspective, they're out doing mysterious Swedish stuff at midnight, uh-huh. one o'clock in the morning on their bicycles. And uh-huh. as they're biking by they see the couple engaged in a sexual activity and one of the one of the guys stops and says this doesn't feel right basically mm-hmm. right let's go see what's happening and then when they get there Brock Turner jumps up runs away leaves an unconscious yeah. girl laying on the street right or right. next to a dumpster behind a garbage enclosure right. um and so it's, uh, you know, it's sort of like uh, without without the Swedish guys there, it could very much have become a he said, she said. And, oh, yeah, for sure. And he was, on paper, a good kid. And so yeah. who knows where this would have landed. I mean, there's, there's no way he would have been convicted if it weren't for those uh, two Swedish guys. There's I, absolutely no way in, in my mind he, he would have been completely uh, exonerated. And, you know, poor Chanel would have had to live with that shit for the rest of her life. Um, not that she doesn't have enough shit to live with now, but um, if if there hadn't been people abs- absolutely like witnessing an unconscious woman, there would be no way that that he would have been convicted. Right. No. Absolutely. I mean, there's there's already um, I shouldn't say there is because the story's from a couple of years back, but there was a lot of talk about when did she go unconscious, right? Uh. And she was in a blackout state, so maybe she gave consent but just didn't remember that she gave consent because she was in a blackout state right regardless of all that um uh it which is beside the point really because you can't give consent if you're intoxicated right it's just the definition of being intoxicated you cannot give consent even if you say yes that doesn't count right exactly and so uh so within all of that it was kind of like well what could i find that i could add something to this story mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and what would be of interest. And 
the legal stuff, you know, why was the judge allowed to give this type of a sentence, etc. Um, a bit, a bit too legally for me. So let's look at the history of rape. Oh, right. Um, or more appropriately, let's look at the history of rape laws. Um, so the Code of Hammurabi, one of the earliest sets of written laws, considered the rape of a virgin as property damage against her father. For a long time, the rape of a woman was considered a property crime against the victim's husband or father. The word itself derives from the Latin, and I will not pronounce this correctly, rapery, R-A-P-E-R-E. Repere. Repere, or seize. It wasn't until the 11th or 12th centuries that rape began to be considered more as a violent sexual crime against the victim. At the end of the 13th century, the statutes of Westminster allowed the Crown to prosecute rapists should the victim's family choose not to do so, signifying a fundamental change in rape being viewed as a crime against the state. So, um, scholars debate whether certain pieces of legislation regarding sexual offenses from various cultures are about rape as we understand it today. There are many literary problems that make interpretation of these sex laws difficult, as the meaning of the words depend on the context, and the laws often do not provide information about what the people, particularly the women, involved in the acts wanted or did not want. The laws were more concerned about which combinations of individuals were illegitimate in the view of a social order. They tend to focus on what a man might do to or with a woman he was not married to, especially if this resulted in the loss of virginity, regardless of whether she consented or not. Consequently, one scholar may interpret a law as being about rape, while another scholar concludes it is about consensual adultery, premarital sex, etc. Cool, now we'll get into the fun bits. Mesopotamia. So, the oldest written set of laws known to us is the Code of Hammurabi. Um, he was king of Babylon between 1792 and 1758 BC, right? So, for all this, let's just think, um, we're talking about 2,000 years before uh the birth of Christ. Hammurabi is said to have um, been handed these laws by Shamash, the god of justice. The laws were carved on huge stone slabs and placed all over the city so that people would know about them. The only law in the Code of Hammurabi that scholars universally agrees relates to rape is, um, the word is saner, S-A-Y-N-E-R, and it means the lord of a manor or somebody mm-hmm. with estate. But uh, it's spelled really close to senor or senore, and I'm going to use senore because I I think it just, we all know what a senore is. Um, Sure, because I just said we did. Um, If a senore found the betrothed wife of another senore who had no intercourse with a male and was still living in her father's house, and he has lain in her bosom and they have caught him, that senore shall be put to death while that woman shall go free. Hmm. Laws similar to this, um, Code of Ur-Namu, which is again about 2000 BCE, and uh, the laws of Eshnuna, um, roughly also 2000 BC. If a man gives bride money for another man's daughter, but another man seizes her forcibly without asking permission of her father and her mother and deprives her of her virginity, is a capital offense and he shall die. Another provision generally regarded as a marry your rapist law is found in the Middle Assyrian laws going to about 1400 BCE. In the case of a senore's daughter, a virgin who is living in her father's house, whose father has not been asked for her in marriage, whose hymen has not been opened since she was not married, and no one had a claim against her father's house, if a senore took the virgin by force and ravished her, either in the midst of the city or in the open country or at night or in the street, or in a granary, or at a city festival. Hmm. Wow. Or if she's wearing shoes, or if her hair is long, right? (laughs) The father of the virgin shall take the wife of the virgin's ravisher and give her to be ravished. So Hmm. if you rape somebody, your wife is going to get raped. Hmm. He shall not return her to her husband, but take her. The father may give his daughter who was ravished to her ravisher in marriage. If he has no wife, the ravisher shall give the extra third in silver to her father as the value of a virgin, and her ravisher shall marry her and not cast her off. If the father does not wish to do so, he shall receive the extra third from the virgin uh, for the virgin in silver 
and give his daughter to whom he wishes. Similarly, provision, similar, yes, hi, tongue, welcome to English. Similarly, several provisions in the Hittite laws are usually categorized by scholars as dealing with either incest, adultery, or bestiality. Um, section 197 of these laws is the only undisputed rape law. Here it is. If a man seizes a woman in the mountain, it is a man's crime and he will be killed. But if he seizes her in her house, it is the woman's crime and the woman shall be killed. If the husband finds them, he may kill them. There shall be no punishment for him. Because the Hittite word for woman in this case doesn't indicate any status, um, whether she was married or unmarried, widowed, free, or enslaved, the law seems to have referred to all women in general, and thus that raping a woman was always a crime, not just when she was married or engaged. Mm. In some rare cases, ancient laws did consider the lack of consent of a person involved as a relevant factor in determining whether or not a sexual offense had occurred. Examples of um, are drawn from Hittite laws and Middle Assyrian laws. So, Hittite law. If a man and a woman come willingly as men and women and have intercourse, there shall be no punishment. Another Hittite law. If a free man picks up now this woman, now that one, now in this country, then in that country, there shall be no punishment if they come together sexually willingly. The Middle Assyrian law. If a seniori's wife passed along the street, another seniori has seized her, saying to her, let me lie with you, since she would not consent and kept defending herself, but he has taken her by force and lain with her. Whether they found him in one seniori's wife or witness have charged him that he lay with the woman, they shall put the seniori to death with no blame attaching to the woman. And obviously, sort of the key there is the woman has to defend herself. Um, Mm -hmm. Let's see. The ancient Israeli texts. So, um, in the text of Deuteronomy, uh, these are widely recognized by scholars as rape legislation, um, while other sections of Deuteronomy are more concerned and, um, sorry, are more contested and are not usually characterized as rape laws. Um, So, here's one that is a rape law, and then there's another one that's sort of not a rape law. So, the rape law. But if a man finds a betrothed young woman in the countryside and the man forces her and lies with her, then only the man who lay with her shall die. The one that's not probably a rape law. If a man is found lying with a woman married to a husband, then both of them shall die. The man that lay with the woman and the woman. So you shall put away the evil from Israel. If a young woman who is a virgin is betrothed to a husband and a man finds her in the city and lies with her, Then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city, and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry out in the city, and the man, because he humbled his neighbor's wife. So you shall put away the evil from among you. Um, mm, you know, don't love it. Under Talmudic law, the rapist must also compensate the woman for physical and psychological damage. If the victim refuses to marry him, he is then not compelled to marry her. If a girl was raped by several men, she can choose which one to marry. Oh, that's nice. Seems like a good... That probably works, I guess. Um, Ancient Rome, we won't go through too much of this. Um, uh, In Roman law, okay, Miss Miss Latin, R-A-P-T-U-S, raptus? Raptus. Raptus. Okay, raptus, meaning primarily kidnapping or abduction, sexual violation was a secondary issue. The abduction of an unmarried girl from her father's household in some circumstances was a matter of the couple eloping without her father's permission to marriage. Rape in the English sense of forced sex was more often expressed as a different word. Stuprum? Cool, why not? A sex crime committed through violence or coercion. Um, Abduction for the purpose of committing a sex crime emerged as a legal distinction in the late Roman Republic. Um... One law, the law of Julia, um, recorded in the early 3rd century, but dating probably from the time of Julius Caesar, defined rape as forced sex against boy, woman, or anyone, Hmm. which feels pretty civilized and all-encompassing. Okay, let's see here. It's starting to feel a a little dry. Let's go to medieval Europe. In the 12th century, kinsmen of the victim were given the option of executing the punishment themselves. 
In England in the early 14th century, a victim of rape might be expected to gouge out the eyes and or, sender, or sever the offender's testicles herself. Despite, which, you know, I mean... That seems reasonable. Could you... Could I... I don't know that I could do that if I was... Oh, I could. Okay, I mean, maybe. Um, oh, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, cutting the testicles, okay, maybe. Right, but gouging out the eye, I, I don't know if I could yeah, do I that. Yeah, I don't think it, I could do that. Yeah. That's a little much. That, feel, yeah, that feels much. Um, and, yeah. But, okay. Um, despite the harshness of these laws, actual punishments were usually far less severe. In late medieval Europe, cases concerning rapes of marriageable women, wives, widows, or members of the lower classes were rarely brought forward and usually only ended with a small monetary fine or mm. marriage between the victim and the rapist. Um, medieval theologian Thomas Aquinas, that bitch, argued that rape, though sinful, was less sinful than masturbation or coitus interruptus because wow. it at least fulfilled the procreative function of sex, Ugh. while the other acts violated the purpose of sex. Um, a lawsuit against the famous medieval writer Geoffrey Chaucer demonstrates that the legal term raptus could not only be applied to actual rape cases um, or sexual assault, but also to the unlicensed transfer of a female servant from one household to another. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. What do you call that when you when you steal employees? Poaching. Oh, poaching. Poaching yeah. your maids. Yeah. Right. Um, and then bring us up real quick to the modern era. Well-ish. So, in the U.S., in the United States, before and during the American Civil War, when uh, enslavement was widespread... Laws against rape were focused primarily on instances of black men raping white men, women, real or imagined. The penalty for such a crime in many jurisdictions was death or castration, and I'm sure both. The rape of a black woman by any man was considered legal. In some states during wow. the 1950s, a white woman having consexual intercourse with a black man was considered rape. Wow. Marital rape first became a crime in the United States in the state of South Dakota in 1975. In 1993, North Carolina became the first... Oh, sorry. No, it didn't. In 1993, North Carolina became the last state. Right. I was so like, look at North Carolina. No, look at North yeah. Carolina. Right. Became the last state to outlaw marital rape. Um, the marital rape exemption was abolished in England and Wales in 1991. Um, by the Appellate Committee of House of Lords. In the 1980s, DAPE, or acquaintance rape, first gained acknowledgement. Rape crisis centers were created to serve survivors of all forms of sexual violence during any phase of the healing process. Rape crisis centers and other community-based service providers continue to grow and serve their communities by providing direct services and prevention programming. And I will leave it uh, there. Yeah, what's what's horrifying is that you know up until the eighties and nineties it was legal to rape your wife. Yeah, I mean you couldn't rape your wife really. It was not legally possible. It was just uh, another day. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, no. The good horrifying. old days, which they're they're trying to get back to. Yeah. Apparently. So hard. Yeah. Uh -huh. so I know. Thank you. Well, um, you're welcome for the history of rape. It's depressing. But uh, at least we're, we've made some progress, even if we're trying to backtrack on it in some ways. Um, it's, uh, yeah. Um, let's talk about the apology. Let's talk about so, the apology. Turner made an 11-page written statement to Judge Persky during his trial. According to The Guardian, the letter from the former swimmer offers a close look at the many ways Turner has refused to even acknowledge that he assaulted Janelle Miller, despite the guilty verdicts, and has instead continued to place blame on a party culture of drinking. Although the victim and the prosecutor raised concerns about Turner's hollow apology and his continued unwillingness to admit that he committed an assault, despite overwhelming evidence that the woman was unconscious, Judge Persky said this should not count against him at sentencing. I take him at his word that subjectively that's his version of his events, Persky said. I'm not convinced that his lack of complete acquiescence to the verdict should count against him. So there's a whole lot of entitled asshole men involved in this case. Um, the Persky being one, Turner being another, and Turner's father being a third. Oh, yeah. And uh, I, I can see how Turner grew up the way he to turn out, turned out the way he did oh, with yeah. a father like that. Um, and I don't know anything about his mother, but uh, she obviously 
um, didn't counteract, was not able to counteract the effects of, or the influence of his father. Um, so let me just judge everyone that I don't know, but yeah. Um, well, I don't think it's judging people by when their actions and their words are so readily evident, right? Um, I agree. Sure. You don't know their favorite color or what they, (laughs) you know, hold in their heart as true, but, um, clearly the dad, I mean, I get the parental, I want to protect my children, right? right? My children are the exception. My children are wonderful. Um, yeah, my kid did something bad, but let's just forget about it. Right. And well, to say that, you know, 20 minutes of his life or whatever, 20 minutes is, of action, I mean, he, he could have killed some yeah, action. He could have killed somebody in 20 minutes. And are we not supposed to judge that because it was only 20 minutes? So it's just could have robbed a bank ridiculous. in 20 minutes or you could do a lot of things. He could have shut minutes. up and killed himself in 20 minutes. Right. I yeah, mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so yeah. um, it it's not that I understand what the we all understand what the father was saying, which is this. A person's entire life should not be judged against a moment. But I do disagree with that. Yeah. I, human beings are I complex. Mean, there are a lot of people who would have been in in um, Turner's position and would not have raped uh, Chanel Miller. So Please. How many times have I been with somebody who was like completely inebriated and right. could have and, and didn't? Right. Because right. it's just not fun. Well, yeah, I, I, it's just not, For it's me. not the right thing to do. And it, and it's not fun because of that. So it's, it's not something that. You oh my God, that's so awful. I just realized that I'm not even thinking it's not the right thing to do. I'm thinking about my fun. <laughs> it's just not fun. <laughs> but also, yes, it's not the right thing to do. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Wait for tomorrow. Right. Exactly. Just take a minute. Um, so, uh, Turner's apology, like I said, was 11 pages and I'm not going to read all 11 pages, but I will read some of it that, that is indicative of the rest of it. Um, and one of the things he said was the night of January 17th changed my life and the lives of everyone involved forever. I can never go back to being the person I was before that day. I am no longer a swimmer, a student, a resident of California or the product of the work that I put in to accomplish the goals that I set out in the first 19 years of my life. Not only have I altered my life, but I've also changed uh, the victim and her family's life. I am the sole proprietor of what happened on the night that these people's lives were changed forever. I don't know who allowed him to write this, but the a should not have allowed him to write this and b should have edited it um anyway he goes on to say i would give anything to change what happened that night i can never forgive myself for imposing trauma and pain on the victim it debilitates me to think that my actions have caused her emotional and physical stress that is completely unwarranted and unfair the thought of this is in my head every second of every day since this event has occurred these ideas never leave my mind during the day i shake uncontrollably from the amount i torment myself by thinking about what has happened i wish i had the ability to go back in time and never pick up a drink that night let alone interact with the victim. I can barely hold a conversation with someone without having my mind drift into thinking these thoughts. They torture me. I go to sleep every night having been crippled by these thoughts to the point of exhaustion. I wake up having dreamt of these horrific events that I have caused. I am completely consumed by my poor judgment and ill-thought actions. There isn't a second that has gone by where I haven't regretted the course of events I took on January 17th and 18th. My shell and core of who I am as a person is forever broken from this. I am a changed person. At this point in my life, I never want to have a drop of alcohol again. I never want to attend a social gathering that involves alcohol or any situation where people make decisions based on the substances they have consumed. I never want to experience being in a position where it will have a negative impact on my life or someone else's ever again. I've lost two jobs solely based on the reporting of my case. I wish I was never good at swimming or had the opportunity to attend Stanford, so maybe the newspapers wouldn't want to write stories about me. I've been shattered by the party culture and risk-taking behavior that I briefly experienced in my four months at school. I've lost my chance to swim in the Olympics. I've lost my ability to obtain a Stanford degree. I've lost employment opportunities, my reputation, and most of all, my life. These things forced me to never want to put myself in a position where I have to sacrifice everything. He's very sorry for himself. I mean, I'll... It's, it's all about him and the impact that it had on him. He did, you know, spare some thought for the victim, but... Yeah, but they're they're few, right? Yeah, and, and I get what's going on here, um, a, a, and a couple of things. Mm-hmm. One is he's telling the judge, "I've suffered enough. 
Look exactly. Look at all the consequences that I am experiencing because of my actions. So yeah. a jail sentence is not warranted. Right. right. Why why do more? I'm already tortured. You can't right. torture me more. I can't sleep at night. Why send me to jail? I I've learned my lesson. I'm so regretful. Um but he is the product of and I don't even need to know anything about his parents to know that mm-hmm. like their world centered around him, right? Oh yeah. And sure, like if it. I had a kid that was like almost an Olympic swimmer or going to be an Olympic swimmer because uh, he was apparently like real close to joining the 2016 team, um my whole life might be about my kid too, right? Yeah. Um, but I think I would teach my kid humility. Yeah. And I I don't know anything about Brock Turner. And respect for others, but, maybe. Um, yeah. Not to be a self-centered asshole. I, I, maybe. I mean, to appreciate and be grateful for the benefits that your life has given you without completely feeling like that makes you better than everyone else. I grew up, as did you, with people like this, right? Oh, yeah. And... They are nice and they are charming and they are sweet publicly because that's what's yep. expected, right? Yep. And really and truly, they are horrid, foul people. And yep. and when they let you know what's really inside them, it's yep. rarely Terrifying. something you want more of. Yeah. Yeah. No. I the faces from high school. Um, oh God, dancing through my head right now. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, and and so unfair of me to assume that Brock Turner is exactly like uh, the people that I went yeah, to high school with. But I think it's probably he's true. He's exactly like everyone I went to high school with. Um, I'm not invited to reunion now. <laughs> I think they've stopped doing reunions because everyone else has died. <laughs> oh, go- oh, great. Thanks. Wow. Cheery. <laughs> er, cheery. Er. We're so old. Um, all, our, all our high school classmates have died. Uh, so now I'm like, who? Oh, yeah. Now I know who. Um, okay, cool. So, so yes. And I did hear some criticism in some podcasts around the newspaper reporting on Brock Turner and that Uh they would say, oh, uh, sexual assault, but his swim time was 17 minutes for the breaststroke, right? Well, how incredible. And, and the criticism, uh, that was levied against the writers of those articles or the media in general was like, oh, they're trying to make, um, Brock Turner. Turner looks so awesome, right? Yeah. And excuse his behavior. But I don't think that's what was happening in that. I think what was happening in that is they were showing you how far he has fallen. I see. Because that's the story, right? That is a story. Somebody yeah. who was so close to... Um, Having everything. A life dream. I mean, not a bad looking guy. Six foot yeah. three, swimmer, yeah. right? Yeah. Going to Stanford on a scholarship. Yeah. Nice, yeah. nice, 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 nice. His mom was a nurse. His dad was some type of an engineer, I think electrical engineer. Um, yeah. And so, you know, good life and promising future ahead. Um, and also the same for Chanel, although she was, yes. you know, not an Olympic hopeful. Her parents... Well, she didn't go to Stanford. She went to Cal Poly. So she was a different type of person. Oh, well, know, her the, sister went to Cal, Pearl, Cal Poly and she went to uh, UC Santa oh, Barbara. Cal Poly. Um, oh, okay. And, Those are still good schools. Well, I mean. Right. Well, I mean, she studied literature. Uh, right. I, I did the same thing, too. I was like, oh, they went to those schools. Um, <laughs> but she studied literature uh, because her mom encouraged both of her daughters to not only pursue academics, but to pursue the arts. And so that's uh-huh. why um, Chanel's uh, uh, victim statement was so impactful, not only because she was speaking about what happened to her, but mm-hmm. because she is a gifted writer. And yes. um, anyway, I uh, well, I'll, all right, we're here. So I'll yeah. just continue um, yeah. because the it's very easy in this story to focus on all the events that happened uh, because they're salacious and they involve sex and, and alcohol and consent and rape and and he said she said and and mm-hmm. and all of that right mm-hmm. um, very traumatic but what comes out of this is Chanel um, writes a book and it's of course about her life and her experience and it became a bestseller it was picked up by Viking Books they approached her and said. Hey, would you consider writing a book? And they approached her on the basis of how viral her um, impact statement went. Um, convoluted English there, but that's how she came to their notice. 
And so in 2019, she won the National Book Critics Circle Award for autobiographies and was named Yay. one of the top 10 best books of the year by the Washington Post. The New York Times also selected Know My Name as its 100 Notable Books of 2019, and the Dayton Literary Peace Prize selected the book as its 2020 nonfiction winner. Awesome. Um, yeah, and then she went on to um, produce art, so she's now an artist and writer and lecturer who lives in San Francisco. And mm. so not so much that she's benefited from this, but she was able to turn it around and yes. make it much more than just a... Um, much more than a rape survivor story. It's a rape survivor story. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, I'm glad that she was able to uh, overcome what happened to her and, and make something out of it. So, you know, obviously her skills and talents were, were great for her to be able to write a book and have it become so, um, so renowned. So, um, so back to the apology, I yep. want to talk about our criteria for apologies and wh how we rate this apology. So for uh, expression of regret, I think most of the regret that was expressed in the uh, in his 11-page letter was regret that he was negatively impacted. Yep. So it was regret that it came back, what he did came back on him. Um, as far as explanation of what went wrong, I, I think no. I think there were a lot of denial and excuses saying it was the party culture of the college or mm -hmm. it was the alcohol that made him do what he did. Uh, there's uh, some acknowledgement of responsibility. Yeah. And, well, he says that, you know, I am the sole proprietor of what happened on the night that these people's lives were changed forever. But it doesn't really ring true to me. It doesn't seem honest. Um, it's counterbalanced yeah. by all the other me, I, me, me, me. Yeah. Exactly. Um, there was a declaration of repentance, but mostly for how the assault affected him. There was no offer of repair and no request for forgiveness. So I have to give this apology a zero, a zero out of 10. The same. There, there's not even wow. a point five. Well, I mean, you know, I we can't go into the negative one territory because that'd be ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but striking in this, I did not read the whole 11 page. Um, I don't know what to call it. I read it. Apology. It was really just more of the same stuff. Yeah. It felt like it was going to be. Um, yeah, it totally was. But I understand from a newspaper article that I read about his 11 page story, mm -hmm. it was a nice summation of it, that uh, he never once apologizes to Chanel. No, he never did. Right. He never did. And maybe that's a legal move. Like, okay, don't apologize to her because you didn't do anything wrong. And he yeah. said things like, you know, I wish that. This I wish that what happened had never happened. He never says, I wish that I hadn't raped someone. Right. So I think he was very careful about not taking blame for anything that he did and not really not taking any responsibility for, for what actually happened. And I'm going to say, like, the biggest out for this would have been something along the lines. Uh, well, I don't know how this would play legally, but, like, I didn't know that what I was doing was rape. Right. Right. I thought rape was uh, penetration um, genital penetration, I yeah. by my genitals because you know did use a foreign object meaning his finger, um, and so I think though for legally ignorance is no excuse, right? No, so well you, exactly, you, you, ignorance is no excuse, um, but maybe the public would have had a little more sympathy for him, right? Maybe. Like I I didn't know. I thought it was okay, um, and so. Yeah, it's just, it's just, it's all bad. And quite honestly, I'd be inclined to believe some version, not more than Chanel's, right? But mm. I'd be inclined to believe that like, okay, maybe he did bump into her and maybe they did hang out for a minute and um, maybe she didn't know what was going on because she was so inebriated, but he was also drunk too. And he didn't realize what he was doing was wrong and blah, 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 blah. Um, but, but the thing I keep coming back to, like how I could say there is no validity, there is no truth in anything he says now is mm -hmm. when he talks about how um, partying is new to him. Right. 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 Like he went to college and all of a sudden there was this whole new world that opened up to him and he, he thought it was okay because everyone was doing it. Well, you know, he obviously had been partying for some time. Right. Exactly. With stronger drugs than I've used yeah. combined together, I yeah. will say. So, <laughs> uh, you know, hey, uh, 
that was clearly a lie. So everything else is going to be clearly a lie. You're painting yourself out to look like a good person. And I know I get it. That's a human thing to do. It wasn't me. I didn't do it. I'm great. But yep. Yep. So it's a zero. So it's a zero. Yeah, we both agree. It's a zero. Um, How often if I'd given it a 10? Best apology ever. <laughs> so how about a who's sorry now or a, a or, who's it? Uh, yes. Apology expected. Well, do you after, have one this week? Uh, I do, because after the yeah. great fiasco last week where I had to cough up a dream from the first grade, <laughs> I'm going to go second. Okay. Um, I do have a apologies expected this week, and it's a couple um, in Israel who I believe they're not is- Israeli, but they were going from Tel Aviv to Brussels on a Ryanair flight, and they uh, when it turned out that their baby did not have a ticket, the couple left the baby at the airline check-in counter and ran off to board the flight. I mean... Um, a uh... ticket for an infant costs about 30 bucks. So I don't think it was that they couldn't afford to put the kid on the plane. I don't know what they thought they were doing with the baby or what would happen to the baby. Um, But by the time the police arrived, the couple was already back with the baby because security ran to get them. So they didn't charge them with anything, which is ridiculous in my opinion. Uh, But I expect an apology to come from them any minute now. uh, So kind of funny in that, like, you know, they ran off and forgot the baby or I don't think they forgot the baby. I think they left it there. But maybe they thought like the other one had the baby. Well, maybe. Right. Or maybe they're such new parents. They did momentarily forget (laughs) that they had a baby. (laughs) Maybe. I guess. Did you say where the flight was going to? Brussels. Oh, I would have been in a hurry to get on that fucking plane. Yeah. (laughs) Kid? Not mine. Um, all right, so I do have one. It took me, okay. clearly it took me a minute. I saved it on my phone, and then my phone ate it, but I have found uh-huh. it again. Um, okay, so here we go. A woman thought to be dead, taken to funeral home, found to be alive, cops say. Oh, no. Yep. And so the apology will be coming from the nursing home. Ready? A yeah. funeral home in, all I'm doing is reading this week, in Miller Place received a breathing woman Saturday after being told she was dead, according to Suffolk County Police Department. The 82-year-old woman had been pronounced dead at the Water's Edge Rehab and Nursing Center at Port Jefferson and was transported to the O.B. Davis Funeral Home in Miller Place, where it was determined she was breathing, the department's press office wrote in an email. So, yeah, and, uh, you know, they called the nursing home and Everyone at the nursing home is like, no, I'm sorry. We can't talk to you right now. We have so many old people we're taking care of. Bye-bye. And they don't have any names for anybody. So no statement has come from the nursing home, but an apology will follow soon. I have no doubt. Could you fucking imagine waking up in a morgue? Uh, Oh, my God. At 82. Like, I don't want to know. 82 is not that old. It's pretty old. I mean, I mean, it's old, but it's, it's old. not ninety. Well, it's okay. not you know. <laughs> it's not ninety-one and a half. Where's the breaking point? Where was your breaking point for old when you 90. were a kid? When I was a kid, it was like thirty. Sure, right, same, right. Yeah, like everybody over thirty just needed to die now yeah. and hurry up and get Why out of my way. Alive? Right, yeah, waste of space, um, <laughs> and you know. Then old became 65 was right. pretty firmly settled in my head. Um, pretty old, yeah. Yeah. And now, like, okay, at 75, you have to say <laughs> you're old. So it does push back the closer I it approach does, these numbers. Yeah. It's like 10 years older than you are, but I then, think is what the saying is. Truly. And I, I don't want to drag us off into another thing. Yeah. But People are younger now. We are younger than our parents were. Yes. Right. At our age. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Right. Yeah, well, I think so. My grandparents were this age, I think, when I was 35, and I thought they were the oldest people on the planet. I don't know how old right. they were, but, you know, they were always the oldest people on the planet. Um, yes. No. no. I don't know. I, I, people, people are younger longer. Yeah. And, and so further proof that I am never going to die. Um, yeah. <laughs> I will be the exception, and then when we figure out to keep me alive forever. And I'll your hair share looks the secret. Great. So you look younger every day. Step number one: hair transplant. 
<laughs> Step number two, Botox. And then, you know, we'll, oh, we'll awesome. go from there. Um, yeah. One, one body part at a time. That's how you exactly. do it. I'll be focusing Holy. on my eyebrows next. <laughs> so lazy. All right. All I right. guess that's it. That's it. Um, <laughs> we're, uh, we're done. Thanks, everybody, for listening to us this week. We'll see you next week. Stay cool, cucumbers, and don't trip potato chips. And, and yeah, to that, <laughs> bye. <And> bye. <laughs>